Well, I mean, it was tough. I mean, I was with him uh, in his hotel room. I think we're actually in Rich Bender's hotel room when he lost to Godoyev. You know, he was just, he was just crushed. Um, th there weren't many words shared, you know. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast presented by Spartan Combat. This is your host, Ryan Warner. Our guest today is the associate head coach at Nebraska, Brian Snyder, a four-time All-American and two-time NCAA finalist when he was a wrestler for Nebraska. I love this conversation. We talk about Coach Snyder's time away from wrestling, coaching JB, and his upbringing at the legendary Easton PA program. Fan of the week goes to our friend Harry Crumb on Twitter. Wrestling is king, as he says, and he's a fan of this show. Thank you so much for listening, Harry. We appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Spartan Combat. Spartan Combat is hosting a number of tournaments coming up this October. They have one in Castleton, Vermont, October 16th. And they also have a folk-style camp going on October 22nd at the University of Dubuque. Go to SpartanCombat.com to register. Spartan Combat is also taking custom team apparel orders for this upcoming season. Get custom warm-ups, singlets, and shorts and tees at SpartanCombat.com. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for the great Brian Snyder. Brian Snyder, welcome to the podcast. Awesome. Awesome to be here. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Good to see you. Yes, sir. I want to start with a period in your life where you were actually away from the sport. Is it true you got your PhD in, in some type of wrestling with an inner city program? Yeah, uh, I, I left the sport altogether in uh, 2006. Um, I, was, I got into grad school for sociology at uh, CU Boulder. So I moved to Colorado. Uh, lived in Denver, moved to Colorado to be an environmental sociologist. Um, my first year or so there was um, it, one of the guys that I had gone there to study with had left. Um, and I felt myself kind of veering away from environmental sociology. And the grad students and the professors start, learned a little bit about my wrestling history. I was kind of quiet about it. Um, and they said, hey, listen, no one, there is, there's very few pieces of re, um, independent or, or, you know, unique research with wrestling in, this, in uh, sociology. Um, most of it's on like pro wrestling, things like that, but actually like amateur 
scholastic freestyle or folk style wrestling, um, nothing. So they challenged me to, to go into that space. And, you know, one of the biggest, one of the biggest hurdles when you do any sort of research is, can you get, can you get entree into the world you're trying to study? Right. And here I was, you know, I could get into any room in the country if I wanted to. So, um, so I, I took a year and I learned different, learned a different literature. Um, and then I, yeah, I did my dissertation research in, a an inner city high school wrestling, uh, with an inner city high school wrestling program in Denver. So, um, yeah, so that's that. That was my, I went there to be an environmental sociologist and a hippie and I, I came out a wrestling coach. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. You moved to Colorado, yeah. getting into, getting into the environment. Now, what, what were you studying with your PhD? Were you studying like how wrestling impacted people or? Yeah, so it was just very basic sociological questions about like, like group identity, membership, meaning. Um, you know, for me, it was a couple, couple questions. So I wanted to look at, you know, the culture of wrestling, just especially at a, in a school where wrestling was, it was, it was, it was in a school where basketball was king, you know, inner city school basketball was king. And so I really wanted to see like kind of how wrestlers made sense of themselves in relation to other students on campus in relation to like the larger world around them too. You know, wrestlers are kind of insular in, in a way, you know, they kind of form their identity um, in, in a small group. And they, and a lot of times they define themselves in relation to other people. Right. So like the whole thing is like basketball players are soft, wrestlers are hard. Right. And all that stuff. So I, I explored some of those themes. Um, and, uh, you know, it was great. It, it was really, it changed my, it changed the way I saw the sport. Um, and it's just, it's kind of fitting that I ended up doing my dissertation research on wrestling because it's been such a big part of my life, but you know, I can, I saw, what it was like to, I saw what wrestling could do at like the most foundational level to like help someone, you know, cause most of the kids that came into the room were, you know, they, it was, it was their first time they, they ever stepped in a wrestling room. A lot of them didn't have wrestling shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them came from um, rough, rough neighborhoods came from maybe, uh, you know, unstable um, family structure. And so, to see the head coach really pour his heart and soul into them and just see what the rest, see what wrestling could do. You know, you've heard, I mean, we, we've all lived it, you know, just in terms of committing to something, doing something with your teammates, learning how to fail, learning how to win gracefully, um, just learning the value of hard work and, and pulling yourself up when you get knocked down. And so I saw those things that you sometimes take for granted a little bit when you move up the, you know, up the ranks in wrestling, you to, to kind of have a little bit of a, a reset and bring me back down to the, the fundamental level of the sport was, um, it was actually, you know, it was life-changing for me because I saw it differently, you know. Um, it was great. It was a really, it was a really en- um, enriching experience in my life that I spent 10 months there as, uh, you know, they call particip- participant observation. But, you know, I was basically an assistant wrestling coach and mm-hmm. I would go to practice. I would, you would, if you know, if, if you just saw me from the sidelines, you would just think I was a coach. I would go home. I would write all my notes up, type them up that night. You know, you're supposed to, they say the, good rule of thumb is you spend as much time taking field notes or writing up your notes as you do actually in the setting. So I'd go home and, you know, spend another hour, hour and a half, you know, writing up notes for that. And obviously you, you go it like anything, you go into it with some, with some topics and some themes that you're looking to explore. Um, But just like anything, some, some new stuff comes up. So I was looking for things. I was writing notes on them and then other things would come up and then explore those later. Wow. Um, 
but it was cool. I took the bus to, you know, I just kind of felt like it was, I just, I wanted to kind of get into what it was like to be in Denver. And a lot of the kids took the bus. So took the bus to, um, to work out every day and, um, had a kid actually live with me for about four months. So it was really immersive. Really? So it wasn't just like, yeah, it wasn't just like you're doing your research and then you're out, you know, obviously you get into wrestling and it's like, you ne- you can never leave anything in the room. Right. You know, the losses are way too hard, you know, but yeah, I had, um, uh, uh, a, a young man that, that, that lived with me for a little, for about four months. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it was, it was quite, it was quite the journey. And so you're going to like the tournaments on the weekends, these Colorado tournaments and going yeah. to all of it. Wow. Yeah. So come people, a couple of people like second take, you know, just had a look are you Brian Snyder? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it was wow. great. No, it was, it was good. No, early mornings, bus rides and, um, up in the mountains and, you know, a lot of, a lot of stuff in, in the city. There's a lot of wrestling uh, programs in the city. So it was, it was good. So how long did it take you to write up the dissertation after that year in the room? So just kind of get my, my bearings here a bit. I, so I did my, when I finished my dissertation, sorry, when I, so I, I went to Boulder and I finished my, dissertation research my third year there so that was like 2000 2008 2009 school year um and then I going back in the room being in the room made me realize like hey this is what I want to do with my life I, I want to get back in the room I want to I want to get back into wrestling and that's when Sean Charles had just got the job at Arizona State so he we talked and, and he recruited me to come be his head assistant and I talked to my dissertation committee at in Boulder, and I said, "Hey, listen, this is a really good opportunity." Um, and they gave me their blessing to write my dissertation from off campus because I was done with my comprehensive exams. I was basically all I had to do was write my dissertation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was at Arizona State for a year working on it. Um, but then that 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 spring, there was an opening at Nebraska, and Coach Manny recruited me back. So I came back to Nebraska the next year. And because I had started at Nebraska, I started my dissertation. Um, they call it your program of study. From the time you put that in to the time it expires is eight years. So I technically got my PhD from Nebraska, even though everything came. So even though everything, all my dissertation research and every and my comprehensive exams were from uh, Boulder. So I came back and then I, I, I graduated in 2012. So it took me about, you know, there was a time where I wrote for a, a lot of it when I was in Arizona. Um, and then I took a little bit of a hiatus when I came back. So, so probably, you know, a, a good year and a half writing it, you know, man, that's hard to stay motivated that long because like when you first do it in Colorado, you're probably very motivated. Everything's fresh, but then you get the, yeah. the chance to coach at the big levels again. You're like, you're super busy. Then you go to Nebraska, JB's there. Like, man, there must've been a lot going on during that time. Yeah, it was, it was tough. Luckily I'm an early riser, so I could go in and get work done um, at the coffee shop before the day started. And then, you know, hammer away at it at night. Um, I, to be honest with you, I was, there was a time where I, I didn't know if I was going to finish it. Um, You know, I, I was, I, I switched committee members in Boulder and I just didn't have the best experience, like writing it from afar. Um, And I was just like, you know, I'm going to, I'm just, I don't know if I'm going to do this. And then a friend of mine that was still in grad school here at Nebraska talked to Julia McQuillan, who was the chair of the department. 
and who actually came into Nebraska like the same time I came in um, when we were undergrad. She came in as a professor. So we just had a good relationship. And she said, you tell Brian to get a hold of me. There's no way he's not finishing his, his PhD, <laughs> his dissertation. So I talked to Julie and she's like, listen, your area is not exactly lined up with my area, but a lot of times the most important thing with your, dis with your dis dissertation chair is like fit. Like, do you guys, can you guys work together? Can you guys match? She's like, I'll walk you through this. You're going to do You're like, I'll help you through this. You're going to do it. Um, and she's just like, in the world of academia at that level, there aren't many like mentors like her. Mm -hmm. She gets it. She gets like the coaching mentorship. Um, so I, I gave, I gave Julie a big shout out in, in my, uh, you know, the opening page of my dissertation, just without her, I probably wouldn't have done it, but, um, yeah, she's still a good friend of mine. We have coffee. And so, Dang, you know, you always cool. need those folks in your life to kind of keep you on track when you're starting to, you know, think differently about what you want to do with your life. You need someone to come in and say, Hey, you're not, not finishing. Right. So, yes. Well, it, it has to be similar to jumping, jumping gears here, but 2016, the great Jordan Burroughs doesn't get it done in, in Rio. And by all accounts, he took it right on the chin. When you went over to see him the first time back in Nebraska, what was that experience like? Well, I mean, it was tough. I mean, I was with him uh, in his hotel room. I think we're actually in Rich Bender's hotel room when he lost to Godoyev. You know, he was just he was just crushed. Um, th there weren't many words shared, you know, um, just try to give him a little bit of encouragement to, you know, to wrestle back and finish strong. Um, you know, Dave, JB definitely did some soul searching after 2016. You know, my 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 message to him was, hey, uh, you know, we, you're not going to find a, a staff that's more committed to your development, right? This year didn't go according to plan, but, um, you know, I, I, I think that this is the best place for you to continue your career um, and just, you know, just let them know that, you know, that we loved them. We were going to be there for them no matter what. Um, but that was really it. You know, it was a tough time for him. Well, I mean, it, it, it's much more extreme than you not finishing your PhD. But I mean, by all accounts, if you read that letter he wrote, he almost retired. I'm sure you guys were not convincing him not to, but saying, hey, if you want to keep going, we're here for you. So, yeah. uh, man, I'm, yeah, I mean, think about all the experiences you've been through. And it all started with you being a part of this high school program, because were you pretty much content on not getting back into wrestling when you got to Colorado? Like there's, you were done with it? Yeah, my intention was I was going to go in academia. I was going to get my PhD in sociology and just be a professor. And that was wow. it. Just, you know, yeah, that was, you know, I, there's, there's, there's things I, there's things I love about academia, academia. I love the, the intellectual challenge of like trying to figure something out. I like a little bit of the autonomy of, you know, you, you know, you teach your classes, but you're, you, in, in a lot of ways, you're, you're your own boss. You set your week, you know, you can hustle, you can, you know, what, pro what paper are you going to write? What project are you going to work on? So I liked all that. Mm -hmm. um, but the intellectual challenge mainly was my, was my biggest attraction to, to get into academia. Man. Well, it's like, but yeah, no, but I was, I was, I was content with, I was, I was going to be out of it. Just be a fan. Wow. And then once you got back in, you were at Arizona state for a year. You end yep. up back in, in, uh, in Nebraska. What yes. was like the tipping point to get you back in, in Lincoln, Nebraska? I mean, I knew when Manning texted me that I was going to go back, you know, I think <laughs> you know, I just, you know, there's, there's something special about being a coach, being able to coach at your alma mater. Um, and I, I really love Nebraska. I mean, I've spent more time, more years of my life in Nebraska than anywhere else at this point. Um, so I knew it, you know, this place is really special. 
Um, it's a great place to work. A lot of people, one of the special things about Nebraska is a lot of the people that went to school here um, work here. A lot of the people that work here when I was here still work here. So it's, um, wow. it's a really awesome community to work in. You know, we have the training table where not just the athletes eat, like the whole athletic department eats. So it's cool. It's great. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I knew when Manny texted me that it was just going to be, you know, we, we were, we were going to make it work one way or another. And what year were you when Manning first got to Nebraska from you and I? So I was in between my sophomore and junior year. So I had two competitive years left. So he got yeah. me for my junior and senior year. What was your first impression of Coach Manning? But if I remember this correctly, um, we, 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 back in the day, we used to have this little exchange with, with Korea, with, with South Korea, where um, like my freshman year, the highest placing member of the Big 12 went on a team and we went over to Korea. We went over to South, we went over to Seoul and we wrestled in their university nationals. Um, the next year they came to Norman, Oklahoma, and we didn't do a, we didn't do a tournament, but we did a dual meet. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was, again, it was, it was a big 12, it was a big 12 uh, deal. So me, Beckerman and Varing were all on the team that went to Norman. And I swear that Manning got named on our way back and he was there at the, at the terminal when we got off the airplane. <laughs> <laughs> so my first, so like, we're hearing this, like Mark Manning's our next, I mean, coach Manning's our new coach and this and that. And then we walk off the airplane and there he is. So, Oh my um, God. You know, we, we got a lot of workouts in that summer, you know, what the summer's like, it's, you know, it's a crazy transition for him. You know, half our mats are rolled up for camps, but you know, I remember us, um, you know, I, I remember him being very like, like eager to get to work, you know, wanting to get to know me eager to get to work. And obviously we were the, you know, similar uh, size. So we, we wrestled a lot. He, he, he claims he kicked my butt the first time we wrestled. <laughs> I, I remember it a little differently, but I, I um, but we we definitely scrapped a lot. We, we had a good summer and that was the year that brands was wrestling at the Olympics. Mm -hmm. So brands was on the new staff. I remember correctly right so, yeah so it was 2000 brands was on the new staff um and i got to actually tra train with terry a little bit as he was prepping for the for the olympics wow i forgot he was which there was, that which year. was yeah yep he was he was there that year so so that was an awesome experience for me i remember my, my shoulder was hurt and i was like taking some time off and i'm like there's no way i'm not going to train with terry brands for the olympics i'm like i'm i'm done not training like i'm i need to get in here and, and, and get this experience <laughs> i just remember terry being warming up and like tons of sweats and then basically like, all right, let's just scrap, which is what kind of my favorite workout, you know, it's like, let's get warm and then let's just scrap. Wow. So what, what it was kind an of, interesting summer. What kind of feel was Terry bringing back then? I mean, just, I mean, the same, he's, you know, he was, he was, he was, you know, he was very stingy, you know, relentless. Um, he was obviously a lot smaller than me. Um, and I commend him. He, he tried to put on some weight, you know, he's trying to get bigger like that after the Olympics in that year. Cause we trained a lot together. Um, but it was great. You know, he was, he was, he was really tough. Um, I could get through him on a few double legs just because I was bigger, but, um, mm -hmm. he would, he would, he would run me down a little bit. It was, it was awesome. It was, it was, you know, I grew up having like two VHS wrestling tapes. I think there's only like two available. One was like competitor Supreme with cable. Mm -hmm. And the other one was like the, this one that the brands brothers did with them, like training out and, you know, and running these roads or whatever. So like 
for me, Dude, I know what you're talking was- about. No one knew what I was talking about. I found it on like a reseller website. It's like TNT, the Tom and Terry brand story. And it starts with them running down a dirt road. I know exactly what I actually have it in my closet because no one else remembers that one. Everyone knows competitor Supreme, but Dude, yeah. that one was epic. Yes. Yeah. So I watched that and like, you know, growing up for me, like it was the brands brothers because they were kind of iconic throughout the country. And then it was Colot because Colot growing up in Pennsylvania, wow. you know, he did the backflip in the state finals and everyone was like, you know, I don't know if you remember that when the guy had his leg up and he did the backflip and I came seen underneath it. like a scorpion. And yeah. So, you know, those are like- those are my guys. How crazy are right, so I'm glad you brought that up because you know I'm an Illinois guy. I've heard about that story from from afar, never saw it. The legend of Colat and PA back in the 90s must have been out of this world. Yeah. Yeah, he was just he could do, you know, he was placing at Midlands when he was in college, I mean in high school. Um, you know, he was it was, you know, he was he was the guy. He was he was almost like godlike in, in Pennsylvania, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and he was like a full I think he was like a full four or five years ahead of me. Um, so he was the guy that we would always look up to. Um, yeah. So yeah, to get to, so, and I was actually able to train with Colot too, uh, you know, cause when I came back in between summers, I'm really close to Lehigh and I was, you know, I got a good connection with Pat Santoro. He was training for the Olympic trials. Colot was at Lehigh for a little bit. So I was actually, and I was like, when I would come home, Pat would invite me up to Lehigh. I, mean, I was, I lived on the South side of East and I was literally like, 10, 15 minutes from Lehigh's gym. Mm -hmm. So I would go up there and work out with those guys. So I was really fortunate to be able to train and scrap with the guys that I grew up looking up to. Wow. That is really cool. I mean, yeah, people talk about those Colat workouts back then. He would just be like, like he would go on the assault bike for like an hour at a time. I mean, just, just wrestle and drill for hours. I mean, the guy was relentless. Yes. Yes. Wow. I, um, that's cool because, you know, Easton PA legendary in Pennsylvania and coach Powell from that program. He's like also a larger than life figure. How did you, I guess your dad was a coach. So that's how you got into wrestling. Mm -hmm. But like, how did you get first introduced to coach Powell from the Eastern program? So Mr. Powell was the head coach. Um, You know, um, you know, my freshman year, I was JV. I was the son, the assistant coach's kid, but I was JV. I was behind. Gary Root, and then I was behind Jamar Billman at the end because Jamar dropped down to one. I was a 103 pounder. Um, wow. So, you know, just getting introduced to Coach Powell, you know, you just, he was the guy, you know, he was, he was a hard ass. There was like no, there was no gray area. It was, it was black and white. Um, I've come to respect Coach Powell's policies so much as I gotten older and I've become a coach. You know, obviously he used to piss us off back in the day, you know, with like, we got to do this again. Um, it was like, we would wrestle like three matches, three days out, two matches, two days out, one match went like every week was the same. No one could leave the day before uh, the day before competition. No one could leave unless they were within one pound of their weight. <laughs> and it was like, there was one exception to it. I was like cutting so hard to make weight at the end of my sophomore year. Cause I had to cut down to one Oh five. It was one Oh three plus two my sophomore year to make the lineup in state. And I remember I was just miserable. Um, and the one, it was either that or the time I wrestled, I went down my junior year to wrestle 119 or 121 at Reno. It was one of those two years that I, there was one exception. He let me leave practice, me being more than one pound overweight, but I had to run home. 
<laughs> so he let me leave more than a pound over, but he said, yeah, but you got to run home. I lived oh about three my. miles from, from the high school. So I guess wow. it was a wash in his mind. Um, Those were some of his policies. You know, like you had to leave a pound over. What else do you remember? You know, he had, he was very egalitarian in that we had these two lock Eastern restroom used to just be like two rooms separated. And there was a, a wall and there was one walkway through it. One of them was the JV room. One of them was the varsity room. But one locker room was significantly more sought after than the other, right? And it used to be like, well, it's just the seniors that kind of stay in there. But really, Mr. Powell set up a, a, a competition. So based on, you know, how we always did a run, we always did these like fitness tests before at the beginning of the year. And based on how you finished in those, you could pick your lockers. And so I remember we were kind of the turning of the guard when me and Billman um, and Willie and like some of the younger guys that really put Easton on the map when we went on the run, we we, we kind of won, won our spots and took some of those lockers away from the seniors. They didn't like it much, but we <laughs> said, this is, you know, this is how it's going to be. Um, he was good though. You know, he was, he was, uh, he was a junkie, a wrestling junkie. He was, you know, he had uh, a million techniques. Um, he worked us really hard. You know, one of the things I value a lot from coach Powell is that I remember that like, no matter where we were at, technically or whatever but i knew at the end of the year like we were going to be the best condition team like he was going to have us ready i mean he, he coach Powell takes pride i still call him mr Powell. mr Powell takes pride in that in all the years he was at easton he never had an undefeated dual dual meet team you know so he always wanted to seek out our at least during my time up until my time there but I, he always wanted to seek out the best competition for us mm -hmm. which is why we went to like the 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 you know the first iron man in the no, back then it was Iron Man and it was Reno. We didn't have Beast of the East back then, but Iron Man and Reno were it. We wrestled those, and they were, sometimes they were back-to-back -back weekends. If anything, they were two weekends apart. And then we did all that before we even got into our, you know, our district, you know, our conference tournament, our conference mm -hmm. competition. And if you remember back then, it was like us, Nazareth, and Northampton. We were all ranked in the top 15, 20 in the country, and we would wrestle them in a dual meet. Then we would wrestle them in district duels. And then we would wrestle them at districts and then we would wrestle them at regionals and we would wrestle them at state tournament. <laughs> oh my so, God. you know, we, it was, it was a gauntlet. I remember um, a guy named Denny Liberto, who was uh, a senior when I was a sophomore, he, he beat me and Billman. Like, I think his record against us was like 11 and 11 and one or 10 and one. Like we just, we, 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 we couldn't crack him. Mm -hmm. You know, he was a Northampton guy. He used to kick our butts. What kind of um, a specimen was Jamar Billman back in the day? ultimate competitor, ultimate competitor. I mean, he, he, he was a very hard worker. His dad always used to take us, um, and lift with us in the summer. We used to do these like crazy lifting workouts. We used to do like crazy conditioning workouts. Like I always say that Jamar's dad, Dwayne Thornton was like, he was like the strength and conditioning coach before strength and conditioning coaches got like in, in vogue. Right. He was badass. We loved it. He would do, we would do crazy stuff. Then he'd take us back to his house and he'd cook us pancakes and eggs and everything. He was, he was <laughs> awesome. But um, he worked really hard, uh, but he was just a competitor. He was just a competitor. Like he wanted to wrestle anyone. Like we used to fight over the guys. If we were going to wrestle a team and there was a ranked guy, like who was going to wrestle? You know, that was the stuff. That was just kind of the, the attitude and the culture that we had at Easton at that time. Um, yeah. So, so, so ultra competitive. Um and just really scrappy. Like if you were going to beat Jamar, you were going to earn it. And you remember him, his freshman year, true freshman year, he wrestled out of the gate for Penn state. And he was some crazy, like 11, 10 matchups with McGinnis, Jeff McGinnis, who was, mm -hmm. um, 
I think he was a national champ that year. Oh, no, no, he was the defending. Oh, was he defending? Oh, he was a returning national champ. wasn't defending national champ. Um, yeah, you know, he set out in 97. Yeah, yeah. So I actually wrestled McGinnis that year too. So he, he in, a, in an open tournament in, at UNI, I think I wrestled him. Um, so he gave me one of my early whoopings as a, as a college <laughs> guy. But yeah, I mean, you just saw Jamar, you know, he's this true freshman kid. He's wrestling in Carver Hawkeye Arena and he's wrestling a, a national champ, Jeff McGinnis, and he's toe-to-toe with him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, wow. so he was special. Yeah. Did he, he, he went to Penn state. Didn't he transfer? Yeah. There? He finished, he finished his career at Lockhaven. Lockhaven. Okay. Kind of did what Colot did. Got it. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and those, so the year you went state in, in Pennsylvania, he was a weight above you or a yeah, couple of weights. He was up? 40 and yeah, he was 40 and I was 35. He was one above me. Oh my God. What a murderous row. And yeah, you look back at, at those teams, you know, the Eastern teams during the, the late nineties, early two thousands, Nate, you know, Nate nationally ranked just studs. And, you know, you talk about how tough PA tournament was. You look at your quarterfinal matchup that year. Didn't you have like the number one rank or number two ranked guy in the state, your senior year, right in the quarters. Yeah. So in, at PA States, there's uh, five re- when I was there was there's five regional champs right and how you separate the 16 man it's a 20 man bracket now but back then how you separated the 16 man bracket was well you got you separated the the five regional champs but two of those champs got to wrestle in the quarters right right there's five champs right so um and and, and none of it was seeded it was all based on just northeast regional one wrestles this all that right so it just happened that me and uh, Mark Hoffer wrestled in the quarters and he was beating me. I remember I got a takedown with like 11 seconds to go to be, to go up by a point. It was a low scoring match. I think it was only four or three at that time. And I remember we went out of bounds. There was like four seconds left and I'm sitting there to myself going, how am I going to ride this guy for four seconds? Like I was just, I was, you know, I was, I also was kind of a knucklehead at that point. Like I was, I, 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 I went out, like I'm sitting there thinking, the night before the match, I'm in my hotel room. I know I had a big match. I'm like, did I do enough to win this match? And it's, it's like small, it's small time thinking, right? So I'm thinking, you know what? I need to go earn this. So like I went out and run. I went out on a run and like, like midnight that night, you know? <laughs> thinking you're going to move like the somehow, needle ahead. So, yeah, yeah, I'm going to move the needle then. When, you know, what was going to move the needle the most that night was to like sleep well, you know, have the courage to rest and get up and like go let it fly. Right. Um, so yeah, I was, uh, it was a very stressful tournament. I mean, I think I won, you know, in the semis, it was close to maybe a point. And I finally got, I had a little bit of breathing room in the finals, but I did never wrestled my the state tournament in Pennsylvania. Well, I, I would, you know, I remember my junior year, I won, I mean, I won my senior year, I won Ironman and, and, uh, uh, Reno pretty easily. And then I'm scrapping from for my life in the quarterfinals <laughs> of the state tournament. Was, oh man! But yeah, he was tough. He was tough. And like that, you know, knowing how tough PA is, you know, a, a fifth placer there, you know, is is probably more than a state champ in most states. So did the college coaches know that, and you were getting calls, or did you have to win it your senior year to get some some solid offers? I think my junior year really hurt me. I was. I don't know if I was, I was ranked in the top three. We had a pretty tough weight class. Uh, Rob Loper, um, Pat Netsky was in there. And so me and Loper wrestled in the semifinals and it was overtime and he beat me in overtime and he went on to win a state t- championship. I lost feeling sorry for myself, got beat again in Concy semis, 
and then I'm taking fifth. So mm. I think that hurt me because I, I, I think some schools got off me. Um, and so my, that's the end of my junior year fall rolls around and, you know, I took some visits. I was a two-time state place winner. I was JV my freshman year. So I placed my sophomore and junior year, fourth and fifth. And then, you know, I took some visits and I, I just, I didn't, I hadn't quite found the school for me. And so I just said, you know, I'm going to wait till after my, my, my year, I'm going to sign late. I'm going to sign in March or, or whatever. It was April. Yeah. And um, that's when Nebraska got a hold of me. I think Nebraska got a hold of me after Ironman. Um, that's also when Oklahoma State recruited me a little bit, I think during Reno. So it, it was good. I was, I was, you know, it just, it just took me a while. I had to, I had to, you know, wrestle better. And, and I ultimately found Nebraska, which was great. Yeah. And that's, that's before the big 10 days. So you're out in the big 12 and, you know, it just seems like now with, you know, with the, the state of the big 12, it's like just such a blessing that Nebraska is in the big 10 because it adds so much more fun to the conference. And I mean, you get, throw you guys in the mix. It's like every weekend, it's just crazy. But yeah. I mean, back then it was big 12 for you guys though, right? Yep. Yep. Back then it was big 12. And really I mean, there was five schools. It was us, Missouri, Oklahoma, Oklahoma state and Iowa state. Now they were all really tough. Missouri, Missouri coach Smith had just start, just got to Missouri, I think halfway through my career. Um, so they, they were, you know, they were down a little bit before yeah. he got there. Um, but you know, Iowa state was tough. Oklahoma was tough. Oklahoma state was obviously tough. And we, yeah. So we scrapped with those guys a lot. Were you surprised when the previous coach left for Manning or was it kind of expected that there was going to be a change? Yeah, there's some, some stuff went on, you know, this was some compliant stuff. So I, you know, the, we, we knew, you know, by the end of the year that, that something was going to happen. Yeah. Got so it. it wasn't, you know, it, it was, it was sudden. Yeah. But we, but, we, we, we knew something was up. Man, man dad, Manning come in though. That guy's energy is just unbelievable. And, you know, he was coming, coming in hot off of taking you and I from oblivion to, you know, a top recruiting class. So, and, and then, you know, you build your career there, four time all American, two time NCAA finalist. I just can't believe that you left and then you come back and man, what a time to come back because Jordan Burroughs, was he a senior or a junior at that time? He was a senior. He was, yep. Yep. He was a senior. Had yeah, you put your big. hands on him before that, before that, or is that your first time? No, one time. So I, I come back. Um, I came back. Uh, I don't know what it was. Came back to Lincoln once while they were, Jordan was a, still a 49 pounder, came back and worked out with the guys. And um, we, we, uh, we, we, we scrapped a little bit and, uh, I got, I got two quick ankle picks on him. Right. And then, uh, he started to get, he started to, you know, turn the heat up on me a little bit. And then Manning kind of called the go and gave me a little bit of help. So that was good. <laughs> Cause I was just, you know, I was like, you know, I was living in bolt. I was living in Denver. I was, uh, I was like 160 pounds, you know, but yeah, you can ask JB about it. I got it. I got, I stung him with a couple quick ankle picks. He was leading <laughs> that right leg really Man. heavy. <laughs> And, and then when have... I came back, go yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, no. But then when I came back, JB was, um, you know, he had coming off knee surgery. He was really big. He hadn't worked out in a lot, but he was like 180 pounds. He was a monster. So Whoa. I would have loved to, you know, you know, usually when you come in, you can, it, it, it would have been nice to get JB when he came in as a freshman, you know, so he I could kind of like get in his head a little bit, but um, <laughs> no, no such thing. <laughs> And he went, uh, he won it that year, obviously. And then that summer, the legendary match with Sargush at the Worlds, the match that kind of started, you know, his run. And you could even say Team USA's dominance and what an era we're living in right now. But 
mean, the Nebraska website has it right there. First world champ since 2006, which is crazy to think that in 2011, it had been that long. Now we have them dime a dozen, you know, but yeah. talk us through that, uh, your memory of that match with Sargush at the 2011 Worlds. I remember watching it from, you know, I was in the back, I was in the background or, you know, in the, you know, the warm up room and then we could kind of sneak out a little bit. Um, but it was, it was just insane because it was such a dog fight, but Sargush was cheating. He kept grabbing JB singlet, singlet you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and it was, it was kind of sneaky what he was doing. I do it a lot in practice now, you know, you just kind of like <laughs> leave your hand over the top and then when it's time to go, you pull it and go. But, um, I remember, I remember JB winning. I mean, I knew, you know, JB at that point was starting to develop, you know, this, like this ultimate, like, you're going to have to kill me to beat me. He had this grit to him. Uh, that was just like, it, it was, it was, it, it's unmatched. I've never seen anything like it. And then it just grew and grew and grew over the years, but he started to develop that. And so I saw him, you know, he, he went toe to toe with Sargush and we came back and, um, you know, there was a lot of celebration, but I, th- I think then somebody was like, Hey, listen, like, we're here to win the thing right like let's not celebrate too much mm-hmm. and so he kind of just got him you know he was happy we were all pumped you know and he's Stargush was a defending two-time champ right at that point he won it the two prior years I, I believe you know so he was but it, I, it was it was just exciting that it was like hey damn right I arrived you know like he was he was ready to go um and it, it didn't get any easier because he had to wrestle Aliyev I think that well, I don't know if it was the next match or the or maybe there was one in between there but wow. he was chess rap, you know, he, he, there was the, there was a controversial, no, it could have went either way. And JB got the call, but JB was doubling him, and he was chess rap and JB. Oh, but, wow. So um, that's our goose match was really early in the term. Must've been the quarters. It was second match. Second match. Wow. Second so match, if I remember up. correctly. Yeah. And was so that when they even... were doing it all in one day? Or they I think so. They had some weird stuff. Yeah. While. Cause it was day before weigh-ins and I think they just ran it all the way through. And then he wrestled Godarzi in the finals, who I felt pretty good with because he was like kind of wrestled like me, like blocky left leg lead. You know, JB had felt that for so long. You know, it's like he he was good with that. You know, didn't have to game plan much. Just do what he does. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was it was great. I remember I was actually watched when he won his world championship. I was like right next to John Smith and he was like hitting me on my back. Like he was like, you know, it was pretty cool to see like, you know, John cheering so hard for, you know. You know, he had a dog in the fight. It was a U.S. guy, but mm-hmm. it was cool. It was, it yeah. was, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty awesome. That was, I would say that was his grittiest, grittiest world championship, you know? Yeah, no, that was a, and, and Sargush, JB said this in this podcast, like Sidikoff seems like a nice guy. He's like, Sargush was like a real enemy that you could hate a little bit. Like he was dirty. Yeah. He was doing some, some shady stuff out there and yeah. you really enjoyed hating that guy. I did at least. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean the. You know, it's like the refs over there, they're so jaded and, you know, like, I guess, you I mean, yeah, they're, yeah, they're, 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 they're bad. Right. But I mean, some of them are bad, but they're like, they're stopping Sargush and telling him like the singlet and JB's like, hey, my singlet, it's ripped. You know how hard it is to rip a singlet? Mm-hmm. Those things are made of, you know, they're, 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 they're tightly woven. Um, you know, you're just saying, Hey, stop, stop warning them. Stop talking about it. Take the point. But uh, you know, I think it's great against all odds. JB just kept his cool and, um, ran him down. Yeah. I mean, then look at it now. He just won his seventh this year. And when you look at, you know, the impact on, on many things has been talked about, but like, how has it impacted your coaching coming in and seeing the progression from 2011 to now? Uh, it's been great. You know, I learned a lot from JB, you know, we, it was, you know, I was just getting back into coaching. Really. It was my second year after my little bit of a hiatus there. Um, 
it's just, you know, to have a guy like that, that you work so closely with, you just, you get to see the standard he sets and you kind of, you can, you can, I mean, he's, he sets the ultimate standard. And so it, it was really nice just to have him as, as a bar for what it's like to, if you want to be the best, you know, I always tell, you know, we, we make, you know, there's those guys that are like ultra hardworking. And then you have those guys that are like, maybe, maybe really hardworking, but then they fall off a little bit of competition. Then you have the other guys that they might not work that hard. And they, when it's competition time, they show up like the Iversons of the world. Like, mm -hmm. are we talking about practice? Or are we talking about scrapping? But like, when you get both, when you get someone that's completely de determined or dedicated to their craft, works their butt off, and they have a tremendous amount of courage, you get a guy like JB, you sprinkle in his, you know, his, 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 his athleticism and his toughness. And, you know, it, it's all the, it's all the ingredients to make, you know, to make the goat, which I truly believe JB is now, you know, yeah. you know he's just that what he's done. It's like, it's head scratching, you know, it's, it, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Especially if you look at the guys who is keeping out of team USA, how good they are. Like we always knew David Taylor and Dake were awesome. But now you see they're the best in the world, not by a landslide. They're they're rolling people, and that's JB's yeah. competition for so many years. There, I I actually I'm I'm glad you brought that up. I say that a lot. I think I see that that's a, that's a, one of the things that you know will be like a trivia question later in life is like you know who you know name the guys that JB kept off the team. But you know his weight class was so deep for so long, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and as soon as those guys made the team, they won a world championship. You know, right. <laughs> and like, like you said, they were rolling. You know, not not to mention guys like Andrew Howe, who Jordan had some wars with. You know, I mean, I think Andrew Howe, if he would have made a team, he would have meddled. You know, mm -hmm. he just can you imagine a couple of those, you know, Eastern European guys having to wrestle Howe for six minutes? <laughs> the guy, uh, it's funny you say that because I was just talking to Coach Brian Medlin last week and I saw a picture of JB in the camo singlet, which is when he wrestled Imar. And I was like, man, that Imar series that 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 was crazy. And Imar is a guy I would have loved to see at his prime internationally as well, because he had such an explosive style. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Always another, you know, always knew it was going to be a dogfight with Imar as well. Yeah. And JB like, never, I mean, yeah, he's, yeah. Think he's, about how he many guys been... he's gone through though. Like that's what yeah. I'm talking about. Like how was like the guy for a while, then he went into coaching. Imar, you know, took, took a match off JB. Not many people have done that. And then he kind of falls off. Like, JB never falls off the training. It's a crazy. He's just so consistent. Incredible. He's got, you know, yeah, he's, he's very consistent. Obviously he lives his life really well. His diet's on point. You know, he's not a party or any of that stuff. So hey, that's helped with the longevity of him. You know, he's just dialed in, you know, he's just mm -hmm. to see his growth off the mat um, happening really, really side by side, you know, with, with his growth on the mat, you know, he just, he just started to figure everything out, Yeah, you know, and it just, you know, you see things like spiral downwardly and then you also see it snowball in the right direction. And that's what it did for JB. Yeah. Well, it's cool because Beast. you had James Green doing it at the same time. They made like five or something world teams together. So you guys had it going uh, in Nebraska. Now, you know, the college team, awesome. You guys are rolling, you know, 2020 at the Big Tens at Rutgers took second. That was so much fun yeah. to watch that. I was at that one and that was a great venue for the Big Tens. Talk to us what? about your kind of, you know, your current state, your coaching where are we at with the team now? Are you guys still in preseason workouts? Or are you rolling with, you know, in the room practices for the year? Yeah, we're, we're in our eight hours. So we, you know, we can have eight hours with our guys a week. And so we're on the mat, uh, you know, about three day, three, three organized a week. And then we usually, you know, guys, we encourage our guys to get one in on their own. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so we're doing wrestling, we're doing, you know, we're doing some agility stuff, strength and conditioning, you know, running, you know, running some stadium stairs, um, not every week, but uh, lifting, you know, so we're, we're doing some, some cardio and we're doing some agility stuff in the sand, some circuit stuff. And then, you know, we're in the room though. We're starting to switch more of our focus to be in the room. October 10th is coming soon. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been, you know, we're just focusing on, you know, skill development, trying to get everyone on the same page. You know, we have a bunch of young guys in our room that are really promising. So it's fun to see those guys pick up, you know, what we're trying to, you know, throw at them. Uh, cool to see, you know, anytime you have that, you got guys, you know, climb the ranks, they become juniors and seniors. You see them start to take these young guys under their wing. I, I It's really awesome as a coach. And uh, even as an alumni, I have a lot of pride in this program from a lot of different perspectives, but to see, to see some of our um, guys grow in their leadership roles, um, take, you know, have some skin in the game with their other guys, have some stake in, in, in the room, um, care about what's going on, um, get on guys, encourage guys, really, really special. And I think that's what take, and one of the, the ingredients that takes a team from good to great is when you mm-hmm. have that leadership from within. And we definitely have it. We have a, we have a really special team. I love these guys. Well, so like you said, if everyone's holding each other accountable, when the new guys coming in, they know that's just the standard. You got you don't mm-hmm. even have to get up, get on their back about that. Yep. And if you look at it now, like the college wrestling's just better than it's ever been. We're adding women's programs, or the schedules are growing, or the, the schedules aren't growing. That was my question. When you were a sophomore, you wrestled forty-two matches. We'll never see that again. Like maybe you had forty-two wins. It was something crazy like that. Why do 46. you think? Was it forty-six? Yeah, I was 43 and three in my sophomore year. Right. So, but you know, the numbers for college wrestling, the fans are there. Everyone's loving it. Why are these guys not wrestling as much? That's a good question. I mean, I can only really speak to us. Um, you know, in the Big Ten, I don't think it does really well to, to compete a ton outside of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just the season gets long, you know, and, you know, you're into your Big Ten schedule into January and February and, you know, there's, there's quite a few weekends that you're wrestling Friday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just think it's a long, you know, it, I think for folk style, we've gotten into that just growing up in America, you know, doing kids wrestling a million matches. But if you look overseas, like they don't, they don't wrestle as much as we do. Not you even know? close. Yeah. Yeah. Not even close. So I don't really know. I, I think it's, you know, obviously there's something there as to what's going on. I think, I think maybe people are, thinking that it's just better for the longevity. I mean, just for their guys when, when March comes, because really what's most important is, you know, how is our team competing in March? Now, Manning wants to wrestle everybody, every, every, you know, it's like, Hey, let's add Cornell and let's wrestle Oklahoma state. And let's do, you know, I'm like, I get it. I love your competitiveness, but you know, we should uh, maybe rethink some of those. <laughs> well, but, like, you know, Manning is, he wants to, he wants to wrestle everybody. It's great. Yeah. But I mean, you think back to your era though, a lot of those guys will tell you like, you know, overtrained out the wazoo, like so overtrained. It was crazy, especially in the nineties. I mean, Mike Powell, one of the beat the street, Chicago executive directors, he's like, dude, when we were at Indiana, we were overtrained. Like you can't even believe it. I'm pretty sure that's most programs at that time. And so, you know, too many matches certainly would, 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 would drain on guys. And now they're coming in so much better as kids too. You know, I don't know if you need that many matches to develop. That's true. I think that's a good point. You know, some of these, you know, with, with where, where USA wrestling is and where the regional training centers, like the, you know, the impact they've had on the next generation of our guys is that these, these high school kids are good. Mm-hmm. I wrestled with some high school kids this summer and I'm like, wow, 
Like, I had to scrap. <laughs> I mean, I had to I mean, I don't know how many more years I can wrestle with high school kids before they start beating me. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, I, our sport is, I mean, where we're at as, as a, as a sport in, in the, in our country, we're, we are, we are locked and loaded. I mean, it's oh. always going to be a dog fight with, with Russia and Iran and those schools. But I mean, we're, let I me mean, look at the guys that are, look at the guys that are two and three deep. I mean, look at our junior world champs. I mean, we're, we're, we're doing, yeah, it's uh, USA wrestling. I mean, I, like you were saying, like with JB, like when he was like the first world champ, like that, that drought we went through, like, I can't even imagine that anymore. Good you know, it's unspeakable. just speakable. Yeah. Yeah. Then you have these eighth graders and ninth graders beating high school kids. I'm like, well, just I mean, look at those two. Like they're going to come through the ranks too. Man. So we're in, we're in good, we're in, we're in really good hands. Yeah. Now for um, sure. And if you look at your program, the one thing I've always loved about Nebraska is that the high school wrestling in the state isn't what you would put in a top 10 state. And maybe I'm wrong on that, but what my point is that you guys got to recruit everywhere. You're, you're out in Colorado, you're out in the Dakotas, you're freaking everywhere. Um, And so I was just going to ask as we sign off here, like I was curious when you look at, what you're looking for in terms of the person you want to wrestle for Nebraska, what does that look like? Like what are some of the characteristics you're trying to recruit to the Cornhuskers? Well, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, Nebraska is getting better and especially some areas is getting better, but historically, and you're, and they're just, we don't have the, we don't have the depth and the, the, the amount of kids that are coming through Pennsylvania and Ohio and Jersey. Um, but that just puts the onus on us to hustle more. You know, there's, there's good, there's really good kids out there. So we, we, we look for kids that are, you know, that love the sport, right. That, that have some resiliency to them that are, that are raised, right. You know, come from good families and they, you know, they know the, the value of right or wrong. They know how to work and the value of work. Um, you know, it's, it's guys that have high, high offensive output um, guys that look for competition. You know, if you can get a kid that loves to compete, comes in with the chips on, with a chip on his shoulder and, and loves the sport and has no distractions. I mean, the, the, I mean, his ceiling is high, really mm-hmm. high, you know, and that's what we want. You know, we, we want to have that room where we have to kick guys out of the room. You know, it's like, Hey, you got to go take a day off. You need a day off. Mm-hmm. So fall in love with the sport. And um, you know, that if you, if you do that and you know, you can great, you can gain a lot of ground on these guys in college. You know, that's, that's really fits into, you know, Manning's blue collar mentality. It's like, Hey, we're going to outwork them. You know, we, we may not get all the, the number one recruits in the country, but we're going to take our guys and we're going to outwork them. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it happen. I've seen, I've seen walk-ons from Nebraska, Aaron Studebaker take fifth in the country, you know, um, and beat some really good guys along the way. Yeah. And so, you know, I, yeah. So we, we like that. We like blue collar kids that, that, you know, that, that really want to work and love the sport, you know, with that, you can, you can do a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you guys have done it and you get a lot of, you know, Isaiah White and Eric Schultz, two Illinois guys doing it. So you got you got my attention. We're big fans here of your program. And yeah, just wish you nothing but the best this season, Coach. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. All right. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Anytime. And have a good day. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wrestling Changed My Life with Brian Snyder. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star review and rate this podcast. All past episodes are available at WrestlingChangeMyLife.com. And please support our sponsor, Spartan Combat. Go to SpartanCombat.com to place your custom team apparel order for this upcoming season. We'll see you next time on Wrestling Changed My Life.